Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Serenity Caldwell. Hey. Hey, how's it going? It's good. Uh, we're back. You're in a, a different state this week. I am. You're continuing your world tour. <laughs> or more like continental U.S. tour, I suppose, at this point. I was in Seattle, Washington, and now I'm in my lovely home state of Los Angeles, California. I've never been to LA. I've been to lots of places in California, but never LA. It seems like it's all I know about it is traffic and Joe Steele lives there. So. <laughs> it's basically all you need to know. It's mostly it's mostly Joe Steele's hometown. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think when you when you drive in, there's a big sign of him waving. <laughs> Hi. It's like the like the the eyes of uh, oh god. I was gonna use a great gassy reference, but I can't remember the creepy doctor's name, so it 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 all fails. Can't, I can't help you. Uh, AP English was a long time ago. <laughs> so we, we answer questions here and we have some Dude. questions in front of us. And we're going to start with, uh, with Doug, who wants to know the difference between PRAM, NVRAM, and SMC on the Mac. And if you reset those things, kind of w- what does each one reset or manage? That's a really good question. It is a really good question. Steven, do you know uh, what each of these things stand for? Uh, uh, PRAM, I believe is programmable RAM or random access memory. So type of storage on the machine. NVRAM is non-volatile RAM and SMC is system management controller. So the, the first two are related in that NVRAM has replaced PRAM. PRAM was used on older Macs and it's been NVRAM now for several years. And then the SMC is sort of a different thing that we can get to in a minute, but, uh, PRAM's or NVRAM, uh, I'm going to use them interchangeably. Uh, they uh, That is a type of storage deep inside your computer that stores things like sound volume, display resolution, what startup disk is selected. So if you have more than one uh, hard drive or SSD in your machine, like which one is in, which one can, it can boot from, time zone, kernel panic information, all that is stored in this uh, PRAM or, or NVRAM, and it... You know, regular RAM, like regular computer memory, the contents of it go away when power is cut to it. But NVRAM, PRAM, non-volatile, that means that that, those settings are retained even if power is lost. So even if I were to take apart my MacBook Pro and pull the battery out of it, (laughs) the NVRAM... Uh, it stores its stuff there all the time, which is a good, a, a cool trick. And so Apple uses that to store like some of these hardware settings. You know, all these, all these settings are hardware settings. They're not. It's not like what side of your dock on. By the way, Serena, you're you're wrong about that. Or nah. what uh, <laughs> what email uh, you have set up, or what your bookmarks are. This is like hardware settings. Like what is my screen resolution? Uh, what boot what boot drive am I selected? So, so- uh, PRAM and AVRAM store that stuff. Yeah. So um, if I were to just turn off my computer and turn it back on again, I'm not going to get the date as 1970 um, because it knows that the date is 2017 when we're recording this episode. Um, One thing I think is really interesting to note, and here I'm flashing back to like seven-year-old me's science project, is denoting the differences between your hard drive storage space, your RAM storage space, and your NVP RAM storage space. I think you did a really awesome job explaining what exactly is being held in the NVRAM versus the PRAM. Um, and then, of course, the hard drive space stores your actual files, your permanent data. Right. Um, we use uh, my uh, my sixth grade science or my sixth grade, third grade science project uh, 
described it as a desk. I guess it's metaphor time. The last episode oh, was metaphors. <laughs> We're going into metaphors again. Get ready for this, Stephen. Uh, you have a desk. And in your desk, you might have a couple of filing cabinets. And your filing cabinets are basically uh, your hard drive space, right? You store permanent files in there. They can be retrieved at any time. And when you retrieve your files, you put them on your desk. And when you have them on your desk, you can read them. Um, But chances are, you're a fairly clean person. You don't want your desk to be cluttered up because then you can't work. So when you finish with your file, you put it back away. And that's kind of how the the RAM, you know, the RAM hard drive uh, connection works is RAM gives you sort of temporary memory of what you're working on in the present, you know, what windows are open, for instance, but it doesn't last forever. Um, whereas NVRAM and PRAM, um, why don't we get, we can call those like the lights on your desk, <laughs> maybe your, uh, your, your printer, your things like that. Um, whereas you can kind of get rid of RAM, as Stephen mentioned, by just kind of wiping, uh, you know, uh, turning turning off the computer and turning it back on again, or maybe quitting a certain program and telling it not to remember what windows are are available on lunch. Um, getting rid of PRAM and NVRAM, or not getting rid of, but like resetting them, is a slightly more complex process, um, and it usually has to do with holding down hardware keys, uh, which I feel like is a time honored tradition of what buttons can I press on restart to make my computer work better. <laughs> I like the metaphor. I like the idea of little Serenity putting things from the desktop back inside the desk, like just <laughs> filing things away neatly. I had a poster uh, board and everything, Stephen. Oh, I, I don't doubt that for one second. <laughs> so if if one of these things acts up, how do you uh, how do you go about resetting it? You know, thankfully Apple did not. It doesn't put Apple doesn't put the burden of the user to know if there's PRAM or NVRAM inside their computer. It's the same same setting, uh, same set of keys to reset this thing. So it's option command P and R while your computer boots up. And if you have this pressed down, when you turn it on, it will reboot again after a few seconds, and then you're good to go. So it's very simple. And it's not something you need to do very often, but you know, like your example of like, my computer keeps forgetting what time zone it's in, or what year it is, or... It, for some reason, every time I start it up, you know, the screen resolution is wrong. Like those sort of things, this can be a helpful troubleshooting step. If your computer is having a Twin Peaks moment, consider resetting the NVRAM. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that brings us to the SMC, which is the System Management Controller. This is something that controls basically the power into and throughout your Mac. So if your laptop won't charge or... If it says it's charging, but it's not really charging, you see any weirdness around that, or if the backlight keyboard is wonky, won't come on or stays on or something, or maybe you have uh, a USB port or something that is is you know not doing what it's supposed to do, sort of like power-related things, uh, the SMC could be to blame. There'll be a link in the show notes of how to reset it. This varies from computer to computer, if you have a desktop or a notebook or how old your notebook is, there are different ways of doing this. So there'll, there'll be links in the show notes. But um, again, not something you have to do very often. You know, I, I can't, I think I've reset the SMC on the iMac that I'm sitting in front of now, maybe once in the year and a half I've had it. It's it's not, it's a very rare thing. But if, you know, you have an issue with one of these things, it can be helpful to know the troubleshooting step. It doesn't hurt anything to do it, but it, it can be, uh, it can be a lifesaver, save you a trip potentially to 
you know, to a support person or a support company if you can do it at home. Yeah. And thankfully, these are all relatively simple things that don't require cracking into your computer's hardware. Um, Apple's made it pretty, you know, not necessarily completely easy to find um, because obviously they don't I, they hope the user will never have to tinker with this, but it is just either key commands or unplugging and replugging your computer. Now, Stephen, I have a question for you. What mm-hmm. order of operations, if your computer is acting up, what order of operations would you use uh, to, you know, explain to somebody how to how to fix it? So let's say I turn on my computer and um, it's been the third time this week and it keeps on thinking it's in this January 1st, 1969. Um, yeah. What, like, should I try other things before I go directly into setting the, resetting the param or the NVRAM? Is there a, is there an intermediary step or is it just like straight through and see if that works? Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's harmless to do. It just takes a few seconds. And, and so it's something that, yeah, if, if you feel comfortable doing, or, you know, if you're explaining to somebody, it's a pretty, if they can kind of grok, you know, hold down these keys as you turn it on, then yeah, there's, I think it can be a pretty simple way to take care of, of lots of issues. And I said, it's not going to take care of everything. If, if that's a, you know, if you do this and your computer still thinks it's 1969, then there may be a software issue, you know, that, that looked like it was this, but you've taken this off the table now. So yeah, I, I would say it can be something that, that anyone can use. Um, and you don't have to be afraid of it, but it, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't do it just for kicks every Friday or anything. If you it doesn't need to be part of your routine <laughs> necessarily, but it's, it's there and Apple publishes this stuff and they, and they tell users about this stuff so users can take care of, uh, of themselves to a degree. So I think if you're, if, you know, one of the things we've talked about sounds familiar, maybe give it a spin and uh, you, you might just be all right. Hopefully. Cool. Well, I, I feel like I learned a little bit more about NVRAM and the SMC, Stephen. Thank you for that. So I think, uh, well, we should thank Doug. It was Doug's, this is a really good question from Doug. That's true. You, thank you, Doug. <laughs> If you want to be cool like Doug and ask a good question, use the hashtag AskQuery on Twitter and we'll see it. We take questions on all sorts of tech topics. Um, and so, yeah, so be cool like Doug, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay, so for question two, we've got a really, really good question about uh, a big change that's coming along with High Sierra. Uh, so Adam is asking, when High Sierra arrives for the Mac, uh, as it's slated to do later this fall, should I or will I be forced to reformat all of my external drives to Apple's new file format, um, which is, of course, a, a big change from the file format that Apple has been using for the last uh, 20 some odd years? Yeah, the last one was uh, 1998, I think, was in which HFS Plus rolled out. So yeah, 20 years. Uh, so I spent. We, we've talked about APFS before on the show, and I think it's confusing because Apple has changed what it has said over time about what will be formatted to a, a, a APFS automatically. So we have some links in the show notes. Um, to some documents and, and whatnot. So before I get to Adam's question, I kind of want to answer this, this other question about what happens automatically. If I just install High Sierra on my MacBook Pro when it comes out, you know, in a couple weeks, what happens? If your Mac boots from an internal SSD, so just solid state drive, it's automatically converted. You're not given an option to do it. You're not given an option not to do it. It just does it automatically. This includes SSDs 
with File Vault, which is Apple's disk encryption, which I have turned on on my laptop. It did it anyways. Or if you have Boot Camp, which allows you to boot Windows natively from Mac hardware. Uh, if you have that enabled, it will still do this. So if you have an internal SSD, your Mac is going to automatically be converted to APFS. Nothing else is automatically converted, including Fusion Drive. So this is the change. Apple initially said Fusion Drives will be converted. Now they are not. So Fusion Drive, you have a small SSD and a big hard drive and acts as one volume. It's very clever. A lot of iMacs have this and some Mac Minis. Those will be left behind on HFS Plus, but you can manually go in and convert them to APFS on your own later, if you wish. Apple does not do anything for externals. So if you even if you have an external pure SSD, so I'm a big fan of like the Samsung T3 and T5, they're USB-C, like little portable SSDs. They're amazing for video editing. Uh, those will just stay HFS Plus. It's up to you to do it manually. So nothing else is done automatically. And it gets even trickier if you use an external drive for Time Machine. Time Machine data cannot, cannot be stored on APFS volumes. So don't convert those or your time machine will break. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. Back up a second. So Time Machine, which is Apple's, you know, proprietary service for backing up the Mac, doesn't, is, is it just not going to work in High Sierra? Because let's say, you know, I have my MacBook Pro with my internal SSD. Can my time machine not back up my new my new uh, APFS SSD when I install High Sierra? It will continue to work. So uh, so really what I'm talking about is the like your the drive your time machine data lives on. So that external drive you've been plugging in forever. Oh. Um, so if you when you upgrade to High Sierra, that drive basically gets left alone and time machine will work the way it always has. In fact, it works a little bit more efficiently under High Sierra, which is nice, especially for laptop users. A little bit better battery life. But... That time machine drive, that USB drive you've been plugging into backup onto, that one needs to remain HFS plus because there's some stuff in time machine that that Apple hasn't updated yet uh, to update those those other drives to APFS. But yeah, absolutely, time machine works perfectly on High Sierra. I've been using it for months on my laptop, and it's great. It's 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 the same old time machine we've known uh, and come to love since Leopard. Uh, like I said, it's even faster under High Sierra. But that USB drive you're backing up onto, do not convert that APFS. Just leave it alone, and uh, everything will be fine. So it just chills out as a HFS plus while your laptop or your desktop or whatever you're backing up with Time Machine can live in APFS, and it's it's still going to talk seamlessly to each other, even though they're different file formats. Yes, because there's a there's actually a lot of cross compatibility. So an APFS drive you can plug into a Sierra Mac and read it. And High Sierra has full support for HFS Plus. So uh, for the time being, you're totally fine with mixed environments. So f- for me, I'm probably going to leave my external drives alone for a while and just run on APFS internally and just kind of deal with it um, Deal with it over time. But uh, but yeah, so, so to Adam's question, you're not going to be forced to do anything except your internal SSD reformatting so we should talk about the verb reformatting because that's that's i think where some of this confusion is if you have a hfs plus drive so you have a mac hard drive now and you convert it to apfs you don't have to erase it uh you don't have to air quote reformat it it is just converted in place so the data that's on that drive at the beginning of that process will be on that drive at the end of that process it's like an upgrade 
I'd still have a copy of that data just because, you know, you know it is complicated. It's a complicated thing and things can go wrong, but you don't have to uh, reformat the drive. So you don't have to like copy everything off of it and copy it all back on. So I, in preparation for this, I had a external SSD with about a terabyte of data on it that was HFS plus, and I converted it to APFS. It took several minutes, but when it was done, all that data was still there and it worked just the same and I could plug it into my laptop and everything was fine. So Apple's done it, done a good job at, um, at really making it smooth and efficient. But, uh, you know, if you don't want to do anything with it, you don't have to yet, because like I said, high Sierra fully functioning with HFS plus. So I have questions for you. I have two questions in specific, um, to, to boil off of Adam's question. First of all, if I convert a drive to APFS and then later I'm like, uh, I don't know if I wanted to do that for whatever reason, I'm just like, no, it's too fast for me. I want the older, slower format. Um, can I undo that or is it APFS forever? So if you want to move from APFS back to HFS Plus, that does require a reformat. So the, the data on that drive, you're going to need to put somewhere else. To, to do that. Disk utility makes that easy, but that that data on that drive would be destroyed to move backwards. So really it's a, uh, it's kind of a one-way street as far as ease. And honestly, I don't know, you know, I really don't think you would need, I don't, I don't know what would come up that would make you need to go back or want to go back. So I think, I think everyone's going to be just fine. It's just too fast, Stephen. It's just that my data is just coming too, fast, too quickly. Too much stuff. I just I want a slower hard drive. Has anybody ever said that in the history no, of the uh, world? If they are, I, I could not <laughs> be friends with them. Yeah, yeah, this is a fact. Okay, so my last question about APFS. Um, so you mentioned that um, APFS volumes and hard drives can be read to um, from a Sierra Mac, um, but what about if you you know I've got my 2016. MacBook Pro, I've got a 2014 iMac, but I've also got a 2008 MacBook Pro living in my exercise room. And uh, that can't run anything higher uh, than uh, LCAP. Yeah. So what happens? Can I use my drive with that? So El Capitan is unaware of anything about APFS. So if, if you have an APFS drive, the LCAP machine won't see it. So that is something to be mindful of. Now you can still, if it's mounted in a computer, you can still do file sharing across the network, but you couldn't like take that drive out and put it in that old Mac Pro. That Mac Pro wouldn't know what to do with it. So that old Mac Pro basically just doesn't see it at all. It's like, it's invisible to me, but if it uses a newer computer that it's plugged into via file sharing, it's basically like peering through that computer's file sure. system and it's like, oh, I can see yeah, this yeah, now. Yeah. So uh, rest in peace, your old Mac Pro. But, uh, but yeah, file sharing is going to be your only way in. Oh, that's okay. It's, you know what? It's, it's had a good yeah. run. Well, that's, uh, that's way more about file systems than I anticipated talking about today. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I've, been, I've been working on my High Sierra review, and I actually just wrote the APFS section a couple of days ago. So when I saw Adam's question in the document, I was like, oh, I already know all of this. Let's just keep talking about it. Uh, if you want a, a really exciting way to spend a... I think I spent Saturday night reading through file system documentation. Like it's, it's quite a way to spend an evening. Wow, what a what a kicking Saturday evening you guys have in Nashville, in Nashville, in Nashville. Tennessee. Yeah, Memphis is just a real. <laughs> not in Nashville. No. Pfft, yeah, Nashville. few hours, few hours away, right? I'm not hit. I'm not cool enough to live in Nashville. <laughs> Let's forget Tennessee geography and go to the speed run. This one is for you because you are the you are the iPad expert. Uh, this is a question from Griffin. 
In iOS 11 on the iPad, how do I bring an app into SlideOver and Split View if it's not in my dock? Oh, man. I love this question only because uh, Apple has done such a poor job at showcasing how to do this, which is sad because it's actually quite easy. Um, it has to do with how Apple uses multi-finger uh, gesture input, which is pretty cool. So um, if let's say I have Safari open in on my iPad, what I'm going to do is I'm going to return to my home screen by pressing the home button. Um, and then I'm going to tap and hold on the other app that I want to open. So if I have Safari open and I want to open, let's say, GoodNotes, because I want to write something down that I that I saw in Safari with my app, with my Apple Pencil, I tap and hold on the GoodNotes icon um, until it kind of pops slightly away from the rest of it. You don't want to hold it so long that it turns into edit mode where you can see the X. You just want it to like slightly, it, it, it almost like bulges out from the screen a little bit or it has that kind of like bloop animation. Uh, so once you see that animation, uh, you're going to continue holding and start, you know, you can drag that icon around if you want, but you're going to use a second finger and tap on the original app that you want. So while I'm holding GoodNotes, I'm going to tap on that Safari icon again. Um, and when that Safari app opens up, my GoodNotes app icon is going to turn into a slide over view pane where it's just that little rectangular thing. From there, I can drag it either to the left or the right, and then I can drop it down and make it slide over. I can drag down from the top to make it into a proper split view icon, um, or I can slide it off the screen entirely and have it just kind of live in that, that hover state. So I'll say this about the iOS 11 stuff. It's super complicated to talk about because it's like, there's lots of little things to do, but once it's in your hands, I think Apple's done a pretty good job at it edit making sense. Um, yes, apps in the dock are sort of blessed in a way that others aren't. But once you're kind of in the zone of like, bringing this app in, sliding it in, sliding out, you know, putting these two together, going home, picking this space, there is a flow to it once you kind of get into it. But it's just, I think it's sort of like clunky to talk about because it's all these movements and stuff. Yeah. Well, I think the big, the big issue too, is that this is the first, uh, the first year that we really have true multi-touch interaction totally. at the system level. And so once people get comfortable with that, it's going to be a whole lot easier explaining into iOS 12, iOS 13, and wherever else we go from here. Yeah. And for me, it's my iPad. I was always a casual iPad user. It was mostly for content consumption, to be honest with you, a lot of Netflix and reading and stuff. How dare you use an iPad for a, a proper purpose and not always as a writing instrument or pro tool. I know, but I was living this summer. I've really like made an effort. Like most of my writing, my long form writing this summer has been done um, on that iPad. And that's been really like a, a conscious decision on my part. Like I need to know this. I need to understand this multitasking. And it really is very powerful once you sort of get into that flow. But there's there's a little bit of a learning curve and and and, you know, for a while, I, I caught myself trying to swipe in from the side to, to instigate uh, multitasking as opposed to coming up from the bottom. But once you sort of uh, melt uh, your your workflows into the, the mold of iOS 11, they, they really can sing once you get into it. All right. Here's a good question for you, Stephen. Liam Gray asks, what exactly gets deleted if I turn on the setting that erases data after 10 failed password attempts? Uh, he didn't mention on his iPhone, but I assume it's about your 10 failed password attempts on your iPhone or your iPad? Um, that's a really good question. 
Yeah, so there's there's a, a setting you can you can turn on on an iOS that hey, if someone tries to, you know, I guess trying to to break into my phone, trying to to guess my passcode, after a set number of attempts, the phone will just basically restart and be erased. This is not a setting you want if you have young children in the house, just as a parental warning. But uh, you know, uh, it's it's a nice security. Um, Option. A lot of companies like force this on their employees to be turned on, which I totally understand. Um, so the question is, what gets deleted if if that trigger is is fired? Uh, the answer is everything. The phone is put into restore mode. Um, it has an activation lock put on it, so that phone is, for all intents and purposes, just a paperweight. You people, you're not gonna be able to get things off of it. You can't plug it in and like reboot it, and everything's fine. When Apple says the settings and data are being erased. They mean it. It is, it is wiped clean. And, uh, you know, that can be really helpful if your phone gets lost or stolen. Uh, you can have that peace of mind that they're not going to be able to get into it. And, you know, if this is set up and they, they trip over that 10th attempt, then the content of that phone, uh, the content's gone. Yeah. But maybe it's not such a great setting to enable for if you have a parent who's maybe forgetful yeah. about what their password is. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Like I said, that or kids, you know, but if you have a roommate who's a prankster, I'd turn it on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no weird lock screens from you, Stephen. That's right. All right. So we're going to round this out with a question from Brian. Um, what is the best iPad Pro app for Apple Pencil markup or red lines on PDF? So if I have a PDF of an article or Brian mentions an architectural drawing and you want to mark that up, What's the best app for that? Oh, man. Okay, so um, for marking up PDFs, um, specifically drawing and writing on them, I really like GoodNotes because I think they have the best uh, writing engine of all of the note-taking apps. But there are a couple of apps that are designed specifically for PDF interaction, um, especially if you have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if in your architectural drawings, just like one page PDF, or if you have a multi-page PDF, um, if you're looking at maybe like a bunch of drawings of different rooms of a building, I might even check out something called liquid text, uh, which has, I think just as good a, a rendering engine as good notes, but it, it has some really, really cool features for annotating long PDFs in specific. I know a lot of lawyers who really, really like this because you can essentially scrunch portions of the PDF um, and, you know, look at them next to each other. So maybe if you're looking at, you know, a bathroom on floor three next to a conference room on floor five, uh, it's a it's a pretty cool app. Um, but yeah, my, uh, my top one is GoodNotes. Um, and then we'll put uh, links to my roundups of the best note-taking apps as well as the best PDF apps in the show notes. Yeah, there are a uh, there are a bunch of good ones. And what I like is if if one of them has something you don't like, then there's other options. And GoodNotes is great. It's, that's the one that I use for this. But there's there's PDF Pen, there's PDF Expert. There's lots of good ones. So we've got a bunch of links in the show notes. So you can go uh, check out the ones that Ren has looked at. So I think it's a common use on the iPad. I, I mean, I know that um, a lot of people who will review documents, you know, review contracts for work or scripts or something like that. And, you know, mark it out because there's something nice, right, to, to have the pencil, you know, or, you know, in the old times, a red pen in your hand and go through something. I still find that the best way to edit something long is just like to read through it with something in my hand, actually interacting with it. And the iPad, these apps have done a really good job at recreating that for me. I really, really like it. 
Um, we actually used the iPad this weekend when I was at the WFGA International uh, Playoffs with uh, with my team, my Montreal team, the New Skids on the Block, where we were using good notes to uh, to mark up where uh, where players were escaping and, and scoring points on us. So it's it's a pretty cool pretty cool tool. Yeah. All right, dear listener, you have made it to the end. Thank you so much to listening to this episode of Query. Uh, if you want to find links, we've been mentioning links throughout this. Uh, they can all be found at relay.fm slash query slash nine. You can get in touch with us there. Or again, you can submit questions on Twitter with the hashtag AskQuery. Uh, and we have magic internet robots that so look for that and put it in a spreadsheet for us. And in the meantime, you can find Serenity on Twitter as uh, Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, and find her writing at imore.com. I'm ISMH on Twitter and write 512pixels.net. Until our next round of questions, Serenity, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios.